Hello, everyone. Blue Jay here, JNT250 there, and Clown Fiesta Podcast right now. We got episode 20 coming your way. Uh, we're going to do a quick recap of quarterfinals, of course, and then we're going to do a preview of semis. But before we get into any of that, we have some spicy news coming out of the North American League of Legends scene, which, as this is an LCS podcast, of course, we are going to cover it. That being that Cloud9 and Licorice let out some news today that he will not be starting for Cloud9 starting in 2021. A little bit of interesting news there. It looks like they're going to be promoting Fudge, and Fudge will be starting. And it looks like they're also going to be promote, promoting Rainover to head coach position. Initial thoughts, JNT? Yeah, it's pretty shocking news considering that they had previously announced that the entirety of the roster uh, was going to be sticking together for the 2021 season. But obviously with the OPL disbanding and that having some implications with North America, with Oceanic players not being uh, considered as imports, definitely uh, changed up Cloud9's future plans. Oh, how things changed so quickly. Um, so here's the thing. I, I think people should be surprised by this um, and shouldn't at the same time because... Okay, let, let's start with this. Licorice was probably the best top laner in the league. Now, that could be argued, but let's say at least for the last couple of years, if we put all that together, uh, since joining Cloud9, he's probably been the best top laner in the league. Is that fair to say? Yes, I would say so. So, so this is coming as a very big shock to a lot of fans. Um, the reason why I say people shouldn't be that surprised is because Cloud9 has a history of proving time and time again, no one's job is ever safe, right? Like, that's just something we've seen... I, I don't need countless times like impact was a good player and they still got rid of him. And then licorice came in. People didn't know how to feel. And you know, he was great. So maybe they feel fudge is going to be the same way, but then you also had sneaky and Jensen and smoothie get benched. These were all players that were uh, towards the top of the league in, in their respective roles, as far as skill level goes. And well, they all got benched. So this is nothing new from cloud nine, a really big shakeup. Um, and it just goes to show that we're already seeing some very big effects on the league from the OPL change now that they are no longer no longer taking up import slots if you're coming from the Oceanic region. Yeah, you know, as you said, you know, you should both be surprised and not surprised with this move. Licorice is one of the best players in LCS, so he'll definitely be, you know, a hot commodity come free agency time, which I believe is, I think it's like November 19th is the date. It's mid-November somewhere. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's somewhere around the third week of November. But like you mentioned, you know, Cloud9 has done this many, many times in the past. They got rid of Impact right when he was looking like the best top laner in, in NA and let him walk to go to Team Liquid for a large contract. They got rid of Sven Skarin right after he had just won MVP of the split and they had almost beat Team Liquid in the finals. And we're kind of seeing the same strategy from Cloud9 where they're selling their players at like a premium. But the only thing that does surprise me about it is this has normally been like Reaper'd sort of like trademark move or decision like he's been the the main person involved in decision making and now with him being gone he was let go about a month ago you know it, this is kind of cloud nine going off on their own and saying that you know they're gonna switch things up which is yeah, I think, very it, it surprising looks like, it looks like cloud nine's volatility did not die with getting rid of reaper that's what it looks like and that's the point that you're trying to make there right like yeah that this team is still going to be aggressive and make some shocking moves when they have to or, or if they feel that they that's the right decision so that that's good to see i think if you're a cloud nine fan i don't think you want to see because they've had success maybe not this year this is the first year i think that we could say cloud nine has been 
completely unsuccessful um, as far as just their final, um, as far as making it to Worlds, like their final uh, result, rather. But even still, this year, they were still like one of the best teams that we had seen in spring. But um, that, that's a tangent we don't need to go on. Um, what else? There was something else I wanted to say. Um, oh, yes. Uh, West Rice will not be taking over the coaching, the head coach position, which a lot of people were talking about. If Ray, or um, if Reapert is gone, does that mean that West Rice is going to to just fill in that role, which is something I had theorized. Um, but I think it shows that Cloud9 was not happy with the results from this past year. And so to keep someone who was involved with the main roster uh, on to be to promote that person as head coach just doesn't necessarily make sense. Right. Like, I think West Rice was very involved with the main roster. And I think if you just gave him the head coaching role, I don't think you're really fixing the problem, so to speak. And so that's why it looks like maybe they wanted to promote from their academy roster rather than the actual LCS roster for, for coaching. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that C9 is going to like get rid of West Rice by any means because I think he's still a very valuable asset for a team to have. He's been like previously before uh, this past season, West Rice was actually the academy coach and Rainover was basically doing West Rice's role uh, back in season nine and they ended up they sort of switched roles coming into season 10. So I feel like the move to promote Rainover to head coach kind of goes in tandem, like with them promoting Fudge. I feel like if they rolled with the same roster, they probably like it. If the whole licorice, um, if licorice is still starting for this team in season 11, I feel like they they probably would have outsourced their head coach or promoted Westrace for that matter. But I think sort of this move with Fudge coming in now also sort of made it a little bit easier for them to bring in Rainover to move to head coach. Yeah. And you know what else is really interesting about this to me? So this tells me that they wanted to get lit get rid of licorice, but they couldn't do it because of an import slot. Like so like that's so crazy to me that all the while let, let's say the OPL thing never happened, we would have been playing the whole 2021 season with thinking like Cloud9 this is the roster they want, but that would not have been true clearly because as soon as they got the opportunity to replace licorice, they did. So that like that is something that's so crazy because we we also have said that he's the best player in the league. There's two years left on his contract. Like this is this is absolutely wild. And so um, I I don't know also why they're already announcing it. Maybe they already have a trade deal put in place, and so that's why they're feeling free. Like because now you've committed, right? So if you don't have a trade deal already set in stone you might not be able to get as much value for that player. You know what I'm trying to say here? As yeah. soon as you let the world know that you've committed to this trade, maybe teams aren't willing to offer as much because you've already committed to that. So I'm curious to, to know if they've already found a place for him to go. And on that note, um, I think we should start to talk about where we think he might go. And, and just to preface this before the show, uh, J&T and I were talking about um, if we were going to talk about uh, what teams he's going to land on. And we didn't want to share this with each other. Each of us think we have a spicy choice as to where he may go. Yeah. Where Where do you got, where's your, let's start with the spicy one. Where do you think that is the, the spicy one that he may go? Okay, well, I, I guess my spicy one is more of like a wild prediction because I think uh -huh. this, so basically. I think we have the same one. I hope it's the same, but go ahead. Okay, well, we basically, we're both, we've constantly voiced our opinions on how bad CLG is. Okay. And I think we both, if I remember correctly, saying that CLG should and will make a lot of big moves in this offseason to sort of get back into relevancy in the NALCS. Because if you look at the facts, like they are one of the most popular teams in terms of like, you know, 
old fans plus new fans and like recognition like the org is quite like well recognized in the esports industry but you know taking a look at the standings they're one of the worst teams so my outlandish prediction with that would be that clg would try to get licorice as to like push or like a rebrand and sign a bunch of new players to try to get back into relevancy in the league so my so, outlandish one would be CLG, but that is so the least likely the one to happen. Outlandish one, but I do have them on my list as a possible uh, landing spot, and I think that um, I do see why you say that it's outlandish because you know, like CLG is like very desperate for players. Um, the the worry that I have for CLG, so here's the thing: I think I have no doubt that CLG wants him. That that I have no doubt in. But where I do have doubt is. Licorice is going to need to see some really damn convincing, you know, unless unless they don't let, okay, let me preface this. Some orgs in the LCS will allow a player to refuse to go to a certain team. Some of them will, some of them won't, and it always varies depending on different situations. So if Licorice doesn't want to go to CLG, that could be an issue. Um, but maybe he doesn't have the choice. If he does have the choice, who wants to go to CLG? They've shown nothing in the last, I don't even know how many years, that's all that exciting. Okay, last year they had an okay summer split, sure. But even still, I don't think they looked that great. So honestly, it, it's, it's an org that is just on a downhill trend for, for years now. And you have to, be real, you have to show that you're going to be signing some other really good players if you want Licorice to want to play for your team. So that, that's where I think that CLG's going to struggle is they need to show that they've got other pieces coming in place. Before exactly. Like, like, ob- it, right? Obviously, like contractually, we don't know the details of his contract, like in terms of like a trade clause or like he's allowed to be involved in the process. Obviously, you know, in the past, C9 has been a very accommodating team in terms of when they're getting rid of players. You know, J- Jack seems to be very accommodating with uh, what team uh, to move them to. Like when Jensen wanted to leave the team in season eight, you know, he was very... I remember uh, Jack was talking about how Jensen approached him and, you know, he wanted to help Jensen find a good spot. Jack basically, like, gave Jensen over to Team Liquid, uh, which is kind of funny because they're, like, their biggest competition. But I don't I don't see a case where, you know, Jack is going to be some sort of asshole and just move Licorice to wherever. And in the case of CLG, I think you're exactly right. Like, for Licorice to want to go to that team, they're going to have to have some sort of plan in place or sign some new players before he were to end up going there because like i guess sure he could be like the first he, he could maybe be that name to start the clg rebuild it'd right. be quite a yes. it'd be quite a risk that you're taking to just like take a shot in the dark go to clg and hope that you're gonna sign big names because you've gone there mm-hmm. yeah and so sorry i'm eating grapes um i want to give my outlandish one but before i do that i do want to make the point that you said like you don't think Jack's gonna be an asshole and just you know deal him out to whoever. Sometimes, and I do think eventually the league will come to that where you can't just say, "Hey, look, where do you want to go?" I think. Oh yeah, obviously, this but... league will become, and maybe we see that with this licorice deal, whatever it is. Um, who knows? So there's that. In traditional sports, you see it all the time. People don't get to just pick and choose necessarily Unless where they the want to go. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. You know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Unless, unless it's the NBA. But usually you don't get to do that. However, the star players kind of do from time to time. Um, I do want to get to my outlandish one, if that's what we're calling it. Um, I think that there's a chance he goes to Team Liquid, which I don't think a lot of people would see that happening. A um, couple reasons. One, 
Uh, Tia has shown that they are interested in Cloud9 players in the past, which isn't a huge thing, you know, but that is a thing nonetheless. Two, I think that uh, Team Liquid may finally come to the realization that you need more than just a tank player. You need to be adaptable. And we're seeing that at Worlds right now. And we're going to talk about Worlds uh, a series later. But if you're just seeing the champion pools that are being played at Worlds, what you need to be competitive is you need someone who's going to try to smash lane and actually try to win, not just sit there and stay safe and just wait to slowly lose the game. While playing tanks is great in North America, I don't think TL is happy with just winning in North America. In fact, they didn't even do that, but you get my point. So I actually wouldn't be surprised to see if they go for Licorice, seeing as they also have the deep pockets to be able to do that. So that's my reasoning why I wouldn't be surprised to see him go to TL. And Impact's contract is expired, by the way, at the end of this year, in November, whatever it was, like November 17th or something like that. So I want to know your thoughts. Do you think I'm I'm crazy here? Do you think I got some merit on that one? No, I mean, I had Team Liquid on my list, and for your exact reasons that you lined out, I think Team Liquid is probably the top suitor to sign Licorice based on all the information you just gave. First okay. of all, they, they've shown their... They've proven in the past that they want as many big-name players as they can get. They're willing to spend the money, no matter the cost. If it's to get the best players, they want to do it. They've shown an interest in C9 players in the past uh, with Jensen, with Impact, and they've shown that, you know, you have Impact, who is a great player. Um, he's a very solid player. He's one of the like better NA players in terms of performances. But if they can upgrade, they will. We saw that in their yeah. Season 8 to Season 9 roster when they replaced Pobelter with Jensen. Pobelter, who was actually playing really well at the time. And they replaced Ole with CoreJJ. Ole, who played really well domestically, but definitely struggled internationally. So they replaced Xmithy, man. Yeah, they replaced Xmithy. I, I honestly, that one kind of, I just forgot about that one. But they, they replaced <laughs> Xmithy with Broxa. Like they've shown that if there's a better player available, they will try to sign that player. And for me, I, I know you have that as like your outlandish <laughs> no, pick. We're not as, we're not to, as to outlandish me, as we think. <laughs> I mean, to me, like to me, that's like I feel like Team Liquid is the most obvious team. To me. Okay. Um. That, that that's so funny yeah maybe we're not as you know these takes aren't that hot we we come in like oh this is crazy well, i Neither still feel like clg is quite out there like to go from the, I, I to go from one happen. of the best teams to on one of the list. worst teams i i definitely had them on my list but i also want to go back to the point that we said about licorice going to, to clg we said well who's going to want to go to that org i think that licorice is more than willing to go to tl as well right if we're making that point like yeah. oh there's been some success here he's played with some of these players before by some, I mean Jensen. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, like that's even another reason for him to go to TL. Um, now, we've been on this topic for quite a while, but I do want to get to the other teams that uh, we think he could go. So without going on too much of a tangent, let's, let's go on the rest of our list here of who we got other possible landing uh, places, uh, whatever the word is. Go ahead. Uh, so the other two that I had, so I, I had Team Liquid and I had CLG. The other two that I had were Golden Guardians and FlyQuest. Uh, okay. Both two teams, uh, you know, that could definitely use an upgrade at top lane. We really saw at World Solo was getting hard smashed mm -hmm. in the entirety of the first week. Had a little bit better of a second week, especially in that NAR game against Top Esports. But I, I think it's clear as day that he's definitely not up to up to par with the international top laners. And Licorice is one of those players who is up to, you know, he's 
at least very close to that level of like success on the international stage in terms of top lane. The only time he's really ever faltered was against Whippo in that semifinal series against Fnatic. But uh, yeah, I mean, Golden Guardians and FlyQuest, well, I guess to go to Golden Guardian side, Hanser, he was a pretty good top laner. I think he had like some all pro consideration. And I do think that, you know, he had a little bit of a resurgence this year in terms of showing that he's still a good player. But looking at Golden Guardians, like they're definitely trending upwards. The team's looking really, really good. Their play has really improved around signing DeMonte, close, bringing in closer at the start of the season, and who he coming back and sort of finally fitting in, like in the support role and on this team. And obviously, FBI is now one of the stars of the league. So, th those are two teams that could definitely use an upgrade in top lane to sort of push them over the edge of like top tier NA team along with C9, uh, TSM, and Team Liquid on a consistent basis. Yeah, so I considered both of them. I didn't. I actually didn't put either one on my list though because I thought that Solo seemed very much misused at Worlds, and I think maybe hoping that the coaching staff will notice that as well. I'm not going to defend his Worlds performance. He he got absolutely smashed. He did not play very well. But I think that you could see that in week two, once he started getting counter picks and was actually able to play for his lane, he could win lane. And he wasn't just winning lane against anyone. He won lane against three six nine. Like, and I know that's one game, but. I mean, he still managed to do that, uh, and he was actually smashing some lanes. So I think that uh, a lot of the use around Licorice was just, or pardon me, Solo was just misused. And so I don't actually think that uh, they're looking to replace him. I could be wrong. Licorice is definitely an upgrade, so I think maybe there's a chance there. I don't think they would be willing to spend something for uh, for an upgrade that I don't think is that significant. Um, when it comes to Golden Guardians, I also don't think they will. Uh, just because this team has never spent money, man. And, and maybe this is the year, you know, maybe this is the time that they decide to make a push and go for it. Um, but I know right now you need to re-sign Huhi, who had a very good year. Like, Huhi, whatever he was making last year versus whatever he's going to make this year, it's not even going to be close, or at least it can't be. He had such a good year and is obviously going to be demanding more money. I think his contract is expired. Someone can correct me on that, but I think it is. Um, and so I don't think that they're going to have the funding to go after licorice maybe they do and honestly i think it would be great to see them do it but uh that i don't want to go too much more into that um from the other teams that i had on my list i had a meme one the meme one would be eg because that would just be hilarious for them to get another cloud nine member but that do i actually think they're going to consider it not really i think that huni and licorice play style are both very aggressive and similar while i definitely think licorice is the obvious better player i don't see eg looking to spend much more for uh, what I would say like is just a slight upgrade. Um, I do have Dignitas and CLG I mentioned, and then Immortals as well. Dignitas, just they have deep pockets. Um, they, I don't know how deep, but they were clearly willing to spend $2.3 on Huhi last year Huni, before Huni. getting rid of his contract. Pardon me? You said Huhi, but you mean Huni, obviously. Yes, Huni. Yes, Huni. Um, they were obviously willing to spend a lot of money on him. And again, similar play style, but I think Licorice is a better player, so maybe they go after him again. We saw Viper was really struggling in the top lane. Um, so I definitely think that that's a team he could maybe want to go to, um, just because there's some veteran presence on that lineup, and I do think that there is potential. Dignitas could offer him and a better jungler uh, a, a, a new contract, so that's possible. And then Immortals is a stretch. Immortals is, is the same kind of thing as CLG, honestly. It's you need to show some better pieces before that you really move forward with that. All they really have to show for right now is Xmithy, 
And Xmithy, uh, yes, he was playing on a weaker team this year, but he did have kind of an off year, you know? So I, I think those are the possibilities for me. I, I, I do kind of tend to, to agree with you now that I hear that you say TL is the favorite. I actually think TL is the favorite to get to get Licorice. Yeah, for my side, I, I don't really see Dignitas and Immortals as, like, contenders to sign him. Just for the fact that I think they're... Like, see, like in terms of CLG, yes, they're equally as bad and, like, and on that same level as Dignitas and Immortals. But CLG is in, like, complete, like, blow-it-up phase. You know what I mean? Like, they got rid of their coaching staff. Realistically, if I was if I was the general manager of CLG, I'd get rid of all their players minus Pobelter. He'd be the only player that I'd keep that was uh, on with this roster. I wouldn't keep Stixay. I wouldn't keep Smoothie. I wouldn't keep Wiggly. I wouldn't keep Ruin. Whereas when I look at Dignitas and Immortals, I see them sort of doing a little bit more rebuilding and sort of building around the, you know, the young talent that they have. Looking at Immortals, I think Alorim had some really quality games and showed that he can actually be a good player in this league. He had a pretty diverse champion pool in what he was playing. He had some really niche picks that worked really well in the meta. I think back to his Malphite and Urgot games. We had we had Insanity who had some. He played all right for the most part, but he had some really good pop-off games. He's another player who had a pretty diverse champion pool and is kind of willing to play whatever's needed. And then obviously you have Xsmithy, who's like your other premier sort of good player on that team. And then they got to figure it out in the bot lane. And over to Dignitas, they have their bot lane figured out with Aphromoo and Johnson. Um, I think that they obviously need like to figure out their whole mid-jungle situation with the constant subs that they did. And... Again, if I was GMing uh, Dignitas, I'd keep Lorlo in the top lane. They have him under contract for another year. I would, if I was Dignitas, I'd like to see Lorlo play a f at least a full split of LCS to show what he's got. Because I think he had a much better performance in the very small amount of games that he had. He had a much better performance than Viper. Still baffles me that Viper was playing all those games towards the end of the season. But I see more of Immortals and Dignitas in like a rebuilding mode for the next at least year. Whereas CLG, it's like blow it up and sign some players. Okay, maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I honestly think so. The reason why I go with Immortals is because I think that they're hard trolling if they're not trying to make something happen. Very, like, they had a really shit year. And honestly, they didn't really have anything to show for it. They need to make a splash just like so many other teams in this league need to do as well. Um, sorry, I'm just reading the line. Yeah, that's at, fine. Uh, I, I, I did want to sort of touch on it, I guess, from the flip side. Uh, when you look at Fudge coming into Cloud9, I think uh, just looking at, I guess, Cloud9's Academy roster and them, you know, making the decision to pull Fudge up from the Academy roster, you know, a lot of the analysts in the professional scene, especially the people who spend the majority of their time covering uh, the Academy scene, uh, like Crumbs, Pastry Time, and uh, Riv, they all talk up Cloud9 Academy and that they're, you know, an LC, like, their academy team is an LCS ready team and they have a lot of LCS quality players on that team. And I know from those from those talks, they all view that Fudge is one of the best players on that team and that he definitely is deserving of an LCS spot. So I guess to go a little bit back to what you said before was that when they found out that OPL players were no longer going to take up uh, an import slot, you know, I think Cloud9 sort of saw this as an opportunity as opposed to, like, they, they saw this as an opportunity to get rid of Licorice, you know, when his value is so high, as opposed to, like, oh, they kind of just, they made this move, even though they wanted to get rid of him, but they kept him on because there was nobody else they yeah. could sign, you know what I mean? 
Like, yeah. I feel like, because just the way that the timing worked out, because, like, the OPL news came out about two weeks ago, and then Licorice's tweet that he uh, put out today said that he found out the news about this last week. So the way that the sort of, like, time frame, like, lines up, it makes me think that Cloud9 figured out this news about OPL, that they're getting, they're getting rid of OPL, and that their players aren't going to be, you know, under import rules anymore. And they have a player like Fudge, who is an LCS, like, ready player, like I'm, I'm trying to think of where I would rank him among like LCS top laners. If what everything, I obviously I haven't watched a lot of Academy, but if I don't all like what to I, do that though, I don't think it's fair because like, you're it's seeing all, him, it's if all, you see it's him true. smash a bunch of Academy players, it's like so what? I mean, you to know be, what I'm saying the the only reason why I think there's some uh, comparability here is because like this is the year that we saw the most changes in LCS, and there was a ton of Academy players being brought in. So I do think it's fair that we can yeah. we can say that Academy is not too far behind in terms of the actual competition. And he was just straight smashing every single player, and it wasn't close. Yeah. So I, I think at, at worst, he'll be like a middle-of-the-pack top laner, but at best, you know, Cloud9 could have the next Licorice. Yeah. I do want to make one other point on this. Um, something that I forgot to mention earlier was that um, something Licorice was criticized for a lot throughout the year was not playing a lot of solo queue. He had said himself, but he doesn't feel like he's getting a lot out of solo queue. And I feel like that there's a possibility that there's some clashing that could go on there from people like Sven and Vulcan, who have shown they play a lot of solo queue, despite the fact that and North American solo queue is maybe not at the tier level that people want it to be. It's still important to get those reps in and actually practice some some different picks and whatnot. And maybe that could have been something that led to wanting to replace Licorice. Uh, we know Cloud9 is just the organization that has the most they're the most turnover in the league by far, and it just seems like. If they start to see a player maybe lose a little bit of motivation, that's when they'll start to replace that player. Even if they haven't completely tanked, it looks like Cloud9 wants to get rid of a player before they tank, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying Licorice will tank. I'm not saying that. But that's just the idea that I've gotten from Cloud9. It seems to be that way. And and one other last little thing is that um, we talked last week about how a lot of North American pros don't want to practice against their academy squads because they don't want to get replaced by them. Licorice had said a fair bit, I believe, that a lot of his practice was with Fudge. Yeah. Because why practice in solo queue? If he's not getting the practice there, he would want to practice with Fudge. And this kind of goes to show why players don't want to practice with their academy squad because clearly it does make them better and they do get replaced. So there, there is some merit there. If that's what that's what I'm saying, I still don't think it's a good reason, but it, it does show that there is some merit to that argument. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 me personally, I don't really see that as like he was playing against Fudge and Cloud9 saw how much better he was than Licorice or whatever. You know, he he has said in the past that yes, he doesn't like to play a lot of solo queue and that he does spend a lot more time doing one v ones in top lane. I think he also makes that point because <clears throat> just. Top lane is much different than a lot of. The, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Uh, top lane is like a. It's a pretty. It's it's a very one v one focused role, and he feels that he can get more out of doing one v ones in top lane as opposed to just like playing a solo queue game. So uh, for me, just to play the other side of that, I I don't think it's like motivational issues. I do think that like Licorice, you know, looking back on it, like I I think back to like season nine worlds when Licorice was obviously their best performing player and he himself was not happy that like the level of the like, level of play of Cloud9 wasn't up to par with everyone else mm -hmm. that sort of led to the whole like situation with Sneaky and Zazel, you know, uh leaving the team because Licorice was sort of pushing the point that if C9 needs to stay competitive like they need better caliber players so yep. I don't know it, it's it's 
definitely a very exciting situation and you know we're i guess gonna find out in like a month probably where yeah, licorice will be speculation the... this, this off season is gonna be good it, yeah it's gonna be really really good we've already seen it hasn't even started yet and it's already good yeah but, worlds uh, is still going on yeah let, let's get to worlds because we've already gone on for half an hour on this top we knew we were gonna go on for that topic for quite a while because it is really interesting but let's get to quarterfinals um let, let's get damwon and drx out of the way this series was just boring if i'm being completely blunt um that doesn't mean that it was played bad it was playing played pretty clean but damwon was just better and it was just like it felt first of all the games were really slow which is why i say they were boring by the way uh there was not a lot of kills i think it was the first game of the series where it was like two two and kills at 30 minutes uh so correct me if i'm wrong but i think that was game one regardless it seemed like this whole series could be summed up by damwon just slowly choking out drx it felt like they were always the first ones to objectives they were always just a little bit further ahead in tempo, and they were able to snowball off of objectives like Dragon, just not being able to be contested by DRX. And that just, to me, was the, the summary of the series. Yeah, I, the way that you know, I even previewed the series in our, in our previous episode was Damwon is just a better version of DRX. They're, they're a That's version what it of, felt like. They're, they're just a version of DRX that is, has a much better early game, and you know, is has better coordination and, you know, mid to late game team fighting. And that's sort of what we saw, you know, damn I mean, DRX still put up a pretty good fight despite being behind in the early game. Like when they were able to find their fights and, you know, they were well executed and they would win, but just when the games go too long and you give damn those opportunities to find their fight on the flip side, it's kind of, it's kind of similar to like G2, like regardless of if they're ahead or behind, they're going to find their fight regardless and they're gonna win so it just, yeah and and yeah. to your point like it, even though they were able to find some fights and make it competitive they were very rarely able to find those fights though mm -hmm. and i think that was the uh, one of the issues as well like i said they were just slowly being choked out the whole series just by being a little bit behind on tempo yeah and and you and i went on and on last week about how we thought piosic looked so good in group stage and he did he was almost completely neutralized in this series like and you could sum that up to Canyon just out jungling or just the team uh, being better with macro. But regardless, Piosek was not able to have the same impact that he did in, in group stage def in this series. Yeah, it, it was definitely... It, it, it made for a boring series because it seemed that DRX made the decision that they were going to wait for late game and just try to out-team fight Damwon. They figured that, hey, we're not going to be able to beat this team in the early game. We're not going to be able to beat them sort of like around mid-game objective fighting. So... Let's just scale up, trade objectives, and see if we can get the better late game team fights than them. And obviously, if you're running that kind of a strategy and you're not finding those late game team fights, or you've gotten too far behind, or the other team is just better, you're going to lose. So it, it kind of felt like they made that conscious decision to go for late game. And, well, we all know that Damwon is just better than DRX, so it just doesn't work. Yeah, and, and you could see, like, I, I don't know, I've been talking about Nuggery, I'll... I'll all of worlds so far you could see he could play whatever and have no issues doing it man like he's just really good we've seen him pop up pop off on kennen now and just take carry performances in the top lane he'll always get in bad matchups and regardless somehow find a way to come out on top he did the same thing against doran when jacks or when doran was playing Jax, and he was playing the orn like this is a pick that you're just trying to survive and scale and sure enough he did that just fine and he had nice really really nice engages multi-man knockups 
it just goes to show like you could put Nuggery on a carry or on a tank and he's going to have a really big impact on the game and that was something that we saw in in this series mm-hmm. yeah um, I, there's not much more to say about the series i think damon was just clearly the better team I th- unless you have anything else but yeah. i think damon was just, just the one, better team yeah just one quick other little thing um i did want to talk about the velkaz pick um I, I wanted to know if you had an opinion on this or not uh, whether you thought the Velkaz pick was desperation or a pocket pick. Because from my point of view, it felt a lot like... It's not even that the pick was so bad and they were running it down or anything. It just felt like DRX was out of ideas and was like, let's try this. You know? <laughs> like, that's what it felt like. And who knows? Maybe maybe Chovy was absolutely popping off in scrims with Velkaz, but it was neutralized pretty easy. And it just definitely... It felt like desperation to me. And I remember when they picked velkaz in game three i remember saying to myself this game is going to be about velkaz whether it's good or bad he's going to pop off on it and people are going to say he's a god or he's going to struggle and people are going to be like what was the velkaz pick about yeah i mean for me i thought it was just that like they needed like a long-range mid laner and you know velkaz kind of just happened to be there and Joby was probably like yeah just give it to me we're down to zero anyway like i guess in that case it's sort of a desperate pick but yeah. they needed some sort of like long range mage against like the comp that uh Damwon was running. But I th- I think Chovy actually was like the only player on DRX that had like a pretty good series. Obviously, like they're just scaling up for late game, but his team fighting was pretty good. You know, it, it was it was clear that they were outclassed in pretty much every other role minus mid lane. Joey versus Showmaker was still kind of like a tight race. They both have really good laning phases. They're both really insane players, and it's just kinda Sad to see that, you know, DRX just kind of got unlucky and just drew into Damwon, and we just saw a repeat of the LCK final. Yeah, and I guess the other reason why I thought the the Velkaz was desperation as well is because the whole series they were struggling to find a team fight that was like, you know, beneficial to them. It seemed like it was whatever they fought. But it was not they really. And so very specific windows on when you want a team fight, right? Like if you're going to pick Velkaz, you want to get a team fight in a choke where you have control over Baron, you're forcing them to come to you. If you're never having control over the map, which hadn't had all series, it seems like the Velkaz pick just isn't going to work out. And of course it didn't. Yeah, but that's enough on that. Um, do you want to move on to, to Sooning JDG? Yeah, um, Sooning JDG. I don't know if most people would consider it an upset. I know we both had it uh, Sooning favored. But I, I, I think the majority of people would still favor, still favor JDG. But yeah. a really great series. The series, it kind of got off to... I'm trying to just remind myself. I'm just pulling up the first game here. Just remember what happened. But JDG, JDG won game yeah, one. No, and yeah, then... yeah, Sunni won the next three. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, going back to game one, like it, it was the only game that JDG won, I think... I don't know. I don't really know where to like start with the series. It was just like Sooning just played really, really well. Huang Feng is kind of just showing like he's like the next best Chinese ADC. He's kind of like yeah. he's he's having like some similar to similar performances to Jackie Love in season eight when he was just yeah, a relatively unknown bring... player and he comes yeah. into this world championship and he just starts smashing people even from group stage. Like he he shows up in the second week of group stage. Uh, Sooning dominates week two, similar to how. You know, IG was down on Fnatic and they had to play a tiebreaker game for first. They go into their first quarterfinal series again against, as an underdog, IG was playing KT, the LCK number one team in 2018. 
Jackie Love shows up with the clutch team fight in game five on Zaya. And Huang Feng was just kind of doing the same thing. He was absolutely smashing this game. He had a misfortune pick in game one that still did really well despite them losing. And then his gin was just nuts. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you bring up Huang Feng because this series is one of those series that people are going to remember this player for, right? Like this is one of those series where you cement yourself as someone to not ignore. Like people will remember Huang Feng because of this series and his Jin was absolutely nuts. And of course, what people are really going to remember is the Jin ulti flank. That was that so was funny. hilarious. I was so like, like, for those that didn't watch the game, somehow Jin was in the enemy base flanking with his ultimate. Uh, it's it's really something that you have to watch to understand just how odd this play was. Um, it wasn't even like it was like Huan Feng's popping off because he's ulting behind them. It was just like this guy's able to have an impact on bot lane while he's sieging mid lane. Like, it, I don't know. It was just a really wacky play and it was really funny. Um, such a funny and, and just good play. Um, but it's not, it's more than that. Like, it wasn't just that game. Every time he got Jin in his hands, he was styling on it. And yeah, I'm, I'm really so happy for this guy. Um, for those that don't know, there was also a really good storyline. I think GBay99 released a video a couple yeah. weeks ago about his story and just how, like, his parents kind of abandoned him maybe not even kind of they just abandoned him and he was living on his own uh by the age of like 12 or something like such an inspirational story it's really easy for to be a fan of of juan fung you want to cheer for this guy and it's so nice to see him pop off in the series and that's exactly what he did yeah just the the video we're referring to is uh on gbay99's channel he does pretty much on either like a monthly basis he does a, some sort of league documentary which he either covers a player or a team or some situation that's happened in professional league of legends. So I definitely recommend everyone who hasn't seen it to go watch it. Right? Yeah. We'll throw we it in the description, in the description of the description YouTube of the video, YouTube but if you haven't seen it, highly recommend that you watch it. Big props. You know, there's been a lot of props to G Bay and the nine and Juan Fang, like on Twitter, just like people have learned about his story. He's obviously playing insanely at worlds. And you know, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Uh, but back to the games, uh, what I'm really actually liking, not specifically in this series, but overall, is we're seeing Jin really, really rise in priority in terms of the AD carry meta. We weren't exactly sure, you know, how the meta was going to shift with Ash and Senna sort of getting nerfed uh, before the Worlds patch. We're still seeing Senna in the meta, and Senna is still a really good champion. Jackie Love makes that champion still look like the best ADC in the game. Uh, but Jin is basically... I think now taken over as like the second best AD carry. We're seeing a lot of Jin from Huang Fang. We saw it from Perks. Um, I'm trying to remember other players who play Jin, but Jin is really becoming like sort of similar. Like he's playing the same sort of style as the Senna and the Ash is much more of like a long range utility sort of AD carry, but it does dish out damage in the late game. Yeah, you could style on on that pick, and that's that's what we saw Huang Fang doing. He he honestly, you know what I what I was thinking about when I was watching the series is. We don't see a lot of AD carries make the game about them anymore in a good way. Yeah. Like we saw Jackie Love kind of run it down, so the game was about him, but not in a good way. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, there's not a lot of that anymore. We're seeing Cap style in mid. We're seeing top lane style. We're seeing the jungle. This was like Huan Feng made the game about him in a good way, and we don't see that from a lot of AD carries anymore. Um, but, I mean, and we can't just talk about him because his team played great as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Bin on the GP, that guy finds a way to dish out so much damage. And he's just so fun to watch as well. I, I've really been enjoying being in the top lane. And SOFM, his, his um, his uh, what's the word? Aggressiveness, his aggressive play style is just such, it's a treat. 
Like it's it's like you feel like you're getting special attention when you're watching these games. It feels like these guys are making the game just for you. Yeah. Um. I just just to, I don't know. This team is they're giving me like 2018 IG vibes like a lot. Like to mention Ben, like he's playing a ton of the super aggressive, super aggressive, high damage dealing top laners. His GP is super super clean. He's always just dealing a fuck ton of damage with that champion. Um, you know, you have a very aggressive jungler in SOFM, similar to what Ning was doing in season eight, when like early game aggressive jungling, like was the way to go. Like with, you know, the whole game was based around like level twos and, you know, now the whole game is kind of based around like level ones with doing early game, early game tower dives. If you get an advantage in your lane, I think, you know, Suning as a whole, they're playing really, really well. And you know, with the with the series with Top Esports and Fnatic being so close, I it, you know it's hard to predict you know who would actually win that series. Yeah. And I know we'll get into it later, but I just think the way that Suning is trending right now, I think they're definitely sort of like the hot team right now. And yeah. you know, it's gonna take a it's gonna take a, a a big old wall to stop them. I don't know. Before before we move on, there's a couple players that I do want to talk about from JDG just a very little bit. Um, I thought Yagao actually had a good series, despite the fact that maybe they didn't, the team didn't look so good. Yagao was really, really oppressive on the Zoe, and I think he was a big part in why they won the their their only why they got their only win was Yagao looked absolutely insane, and I think he's a player that just sort of ramped up as the tournament went on. Obviously not enough, clearly, because they weren't able to to make it past quarters. But I thought that he just had a really good um, series, and and so I did want to give a shout out to him, especially because of his Zoe. The other player is Kanavi, um, maybe up for the Dade Award. I don't know how you feel about that, but this is a guy who came in with a lot of freaking hype, and I don't think he was able to play um, his champion style. Um, very similar to me. We're going to talk about Karsa in a little bit, but very similar to me how like. Karsa wasn't making too much happen until he was put on the Lee Sin. Well, Kanavi never really got put on the Lee Sin. And that's like his that's his champion where he could style and make plays. And so I felt like he was a little bit absent in this tournament because of that, because the the meta didn't suit his uh his playstyle or champion pool. Yeah, I mean, we don't exactly know obviously if, you know, that's JDG's decision to put Kanavi on, yeah. you know, primarily the Lilia and you know, not a super high tempo aggressive play style, or if that's Kanavi saying like, okay, Lily is super strong pick. We need to be playing it. And I'm going to switch up my style to best suit, you know, the meta and the team. But it's definitely a bit of a disappointment that we really didn't get to see the true Kanavi. I think, you know, yeah. it, yes, maybe the meta didn't suit him, but we did also see with Karsa, like if things are failing, you need to get on your picks that are, that are your yeah. picks and that you will perform on. And I, I do think it's agree. I do think it's a bit disappointing that we never, in my opinion, got to see the true Kanavi at this Worlds. And to your point, though, that could not be on him. That is very possible that that's not on Kanavi and that's on the team. They wanted to draft this or the coaches wanted to draft this. That's very possible. But when you're when you're doing Dade Award talk, um, it's not about what could have happened or what these people wanted. It's just about the final product that you see. And from the hype that coming into this tournament around Kanavi, we did not see that hype live up to the expectation that we saw on the Rift. And so he's definitely a nominee for the Dade Award. Actually, Just, uh, for those that don't yeah, know what I the was Dade Award yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I forgot to explain what that is. Um, so basically every year, uh, there's they, people kind of give a non-official Dade Award basically to the player that comes in with a lot of hype and underperforms at Worlds. And so Dade, being a player that did that once at Worlds, came in with a bunch of hype and really un underperformed naturally 
uh, uh, the the award was named after him. So this is nothing official. It's kind of just flame, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, I think it's kind of BM, but Rip Dade. Yeah, I think Monte Cristo kind of like coined it back in 2014 when Dade was a midlaner for Samsung Blue at the 2014 World Championship. And yeah, I'm trying to remember their exact roster, but yeah, Dade was. It doesn't matter, man. Yeah, I don't know. But he, he was a mid laner for Samsung Blue at 2014 Worlds, and Monte Cristo sort of coined this term of the Dade Award because he was like super hyped Korean mid laner that came in, didn't perform well. They got smashed by Samsung White, and I think it was the semifinals. But yeah. Anyways, you uh, let's move on to Top Esports and Fnatic. This series wasn't supposed to be very close, and it well, was very, very close. I said it would be close. You thought, okay, well, I mean, hats off to you then. I mean, props to you. Yeah. I do not think that TES came out playing like themselves. I thought that they really underperformed. Even through the whole series, I know they won the series, but I still thought that they underperformed. I don't think this series should have been close at all. Um, specifically the bot lane and uh, please don't think that i'm trying to take away credit from Fnatic's bot lane i think that they played so well but this is jackie love you're playing against this is a guy that shouldn't be just running it down and was absolutely running it down it's not even just him his support as well yuyanja were both running it down in lane getting absolutely smashed by reckless and hillisang and uh, honestly i think hillisang was maybe the best support in the tournament so far which I would never have thought that coming into the tournament. He has looked so good and has been so aggressive, making so many plays. We hear that he's responsible for their level one shenanigans. Um, and so lots of props to Hilly saying, I think he's been so good and he's really been an asset for Fnatic. Unfortunately, not good enough though to bring home the victory for Fnatic as they went down 3-2. Yeah, I think... You know, I I definitely do think it was a little bit of Jackie Love and Yuyanja maybe disrespecting and inting a little bit. But, oh, for sure, man. For but sure. I, I'm definitely more on the side of Reckless and Hillsang just playing really, really well because we've just seen previously at the tournament them being able to get these huge level one leads. Like if it was sort of the situation where Reckless and Hillsang have just been chilling and they've been doing their thing and then all of a sudden yeah. they're randomly killing Jackie Love and Yuyanja 2v2, I'd be like, okay, yeah, they're inting. But... You know, this is something that Fnatic, you know, they're really, you know, they got really insane at. The laning phase All of Reckless. Tournament, and, right? Yeah, the, the, All the tournament. Reckless is sort of only, I guess, you know, it's kind of double, it's kind of pegged this on him that he's just like a, he's a farm until 30 minutes and then teamfight 80 carry. But, you know, despite what you might think of him, uh, he's definitely changing the narrative of the public opinion that he's only this late game teamfighting player. Because he's just straight up him and Hillsang are solo killing world championship caliber bot lanes. We saw it in the Gen G game and group stage. We saw it in the LGD game against group stage. And we've seen it in this top esports series. And I really think that Reckless and Hillsang were playing out of their mind at this tournament. He's, yeah. you know, coming into it, self made was definitely the best player with Reckless and Hillsang kind of being solid and a bit unsure on Nemesis and Whippo. But Reckless and Hillsang were definitely the two best players on Fnatic at this tournament. Were definitely the biggest reasons for their success at this world championship. And I'm, I'm really disappointed that Fnatic, you know, didn't get to move on because it, it, it was very difficult to sort of watch. I guess it kind of just seemed like their mental was deteriorating as the series went on. I was reading some Reddit comments um, after the series had happened, specifically uh, one of the posts that they translate from like the Chinese like websites, but it, they were basically saying how it felt like, Fnatic was like once they were up 2-0 it, it kind of felt like top east like the, just the mentality and how the players started playing it felt like top esports was actually the team that was winning 
You know what I mean? Like they, they just yeah. came out well, much honestly, more aggressive. To me, and, we're the better team. Like top esports yeah. should. Uh, uh, like to me, is still. I still think it should be like if they were to do that series again. I still predict a three zero. I don't think ever in a million years I would see Jackie Love perform like that twice. Like I can't see that happening again. Um, but regardless, I I totally agree with you. Look, the the jungler. Uh, self-made and, and the bot lane for Fnatic being reckless and Hilly saying they deserve better than the result that they got but it's a team game and you need to be able to perform in all roles and I think there was a lot of dog piling on Nemesis and with good reason he was uh, just being outplayed if I'm being completely blunt I don't think Whippo looked that good either but he didn't get a lot of shit he was getting owned by a by a freaking scion like hey you gotta be I, I think that you have to be equally if you're gonna dogpile on nemesis you should equally be critical of whippo's play because i don't think whippo was anything special either and i just thought that i felt really bad for nemesis um because it felt like even coming into the tournament people had already made up their minds that he was the weakest point on this team and despite the fact that he did underperform there were some games where he took the 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 brunt of the hit for games that he didn't even underperform in my opinion um, yeah. So I, I kind of felt bad for Nemesis. I thought that people had already made up their minds. Yes, he was weak and he was a problem for this team. But I think you could equally say that in the top lane as well. And so I, I, I just, I really felt bad how he was to me scapegoated for what I thought was a subpar tournament uh, result, but nothing like, I don't know. I think I just think he got too much uh, flame, honestly. Yeah, I guess, uh, in my opinion, I definitely think that Whippo didn't have the best of series, but I still think he was all right. But the thing that I guess where I don't understand the whole reasoning for a lot of the Nemesis blaming is like, I don't think anybody was coming into this series or coming into this tournament with the expectations that Nemesis was a great mid laner in comparison to these top level mid laners that we right. have at the tournament. Like you gotta you yeah. gotta take a look at the mid laners we have at this tournament. We have Showmaker, Chovy, and Knight for the consensus three best mid laners in the world. You have you look at the other mid laners that uh, Nemesis even faced in his group. He had GA and BDD, whom he actually played pretty well against. But I think most people would argue that they are both better mid laners than him. Don't forget about Bjergsen, man. Okay, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ, we're not talking about TSM here. Um, then even look to EU. You have Caps, who consistently manages to beat Nemesis uh, whenever G2 and Fnatic are playing. But I don't understand why Nemesis got this huge amount of flame coming into this or after this series when if you're taking a broad scope of all the mid laners at this tournament, like he's probably like the seventh best mid at the tournament. And there's only eight teams remaining in, in the tournament in this playoff stage. So for me, it was just more like I don't understand why he's getting this amount of flame because I think people should recognize just how much better of a player Knight is than Nemesis. And yes, he did get sort of shit on. Well, he did get shit yeah. on. And there's but a there's a there's you, you got you gotta under chat. You just gotta understand. You just gotta understand like your expectations in comparison to results. Like if you're not a great player in comparison to your opponent, and you lose, that's expected. No. Yeah. Um. And I just so I completely agree. I just want to get to this question in live chat while we're still talking about it. Um. Someone asked, "Is Knight still underperforming, or is he overhyped?" Um. I don't think that he's overhyped, and I do think he's uh slightly underperforming as far as the hype that surrounds him not enough to be dot a award but to me there was definitely a mid gap in this series like i don't think knight was that great in the group stage but i thought that he definitely outplayed nemesis in this series and it, it was time for him to show that look he is one of the wor world's best mid laners and i think he showed it in this series maybe not so much in groups but i definitely think that he performed well and 
Um, I, I still think that he's an absolute threat in the mid lane, and I think that Angel uh, for Sooning is going to have his work cut out for him. Yeah, in terms of, I, I guess, mid lane, like the meta is not really um, surrounding mid laners, um, despite yeah. Caps' performance and him really popping off. A lot of the mid lane champions that are going around right now, like the two of the highest priority mid lane champions are Galio and Twisted Fate, two champions intended not to play for their lanes, but to play for the rest of the team and for the rest oh. of the map. Um, I'm also like, I mean, yes, Knight is maybe perform underperforming a little bit, but the meta is not around mid lane right now, and he's playing his role and he's playing it well. Uh, that's what I think at least. Yeah, the to to just go a little bit further about that, the meta right now is to be able to roam and make plays around the map, and you are the support to your jungler. We've been talking for a couple of years now about how important mid jungle is, and it's it's more so jungle and mid mid lane. Okay, jungle is your Batman, mid lane is your Robin. That's yeah, kind of. That, that's, right that's a good comparison. Like, it, it's very... Um, junglers are in your face invading a lot. And you want to be able to have Pryo against your mid laner so that you can roam first and help out your jungler. And so you're not going to see that many outplays in the mid lane, which we're going to get the caps in a second. But I think that speaks even more how impressive caps has been. Uh, but yeah, we will get to that in just a sec. Um, last player I wanted to highlight uh, just a little bit... Um, was uh was three six nine in the top lane? I know we talked about him a little bit, saying how he just smashed Whippo, but I need to highlight just how good this guy was at not only smashing in lane on the Scion, but he was a huge frontline tank. And like it, no matter what they did to him, he was so far ahead they could not take this guy down. And yeah. he was such an annoying issue for Fnatic to deal with. And I think that he was one of the main reasons why Fnatic couldn't take home this series. I thought that um. Even though he's not, there's nothing too stylish about a Scion pick. I thought that, yep, for sure, he's one of the reasons Fnatic couldn't close out this series. Yeah, it, it kind of felt like for me that Fnatic they had in terms of the play and the way that the series kind of played out. Fnatic had advantages in three of the five roles uh, for me being jungle, uh, ADC, and support. But the gap in between, you know, the favor that top esports had in top lane and mid lane just heavily outweighed that and that's what kind of ultimately won them the series yeah and also when carsa was put on lee sin that's yeah when the series turned yes as soon as he was put on lee sin and he was able to start making plays he did so immediately and the the series completely turned around his nidalee yeah. absolutely popped off as well i think it was two lee sin games and one nidalee and once he was able to play aggressive that's when you knew Fnatic was in deep shit because they looked night and day when 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 Carsa got put on the on the lease in, uh, he was really able to abuse. Yeah. unfortunately, Nemesis. But yeah, yeah, it, it was like it was it was so rough because I, in game five, like it kind of just felt like the game was over based off the drafts. Like mm -hmm. Top Esports had this like heavy like tanky lifesteal team with like Leona, Silas, Lee Sin, and Vladimir, and like Fnatic's comp was like kind of lacking a lot of damage. So if they didn't win early game, you kind of knew that they were just gonna get smashed, and then they got smashed. So. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, okay. You want to move on to G two and uh, Gen G? Yep. Okay. So this series was kind of a stomp. Um, yes. Not a boring one though. It was like this was not a boring series. I I've said so many times. I think G two games are just so fun to watch, man. They are a really, really exciting team to watch. But yeah, this series was not necessarily close. It felt like. Uh, you know what it felt like? It, it, okay. So G two, they drafted the the roaming comp where you can make plays with TF. And then it was like the in game two, G2 
Gen G came back and said, hey, we could do that too. And they just couldn't. That, that was that. Like, they were like, hey, we're going to try to roam with TF and use Camille to, to make picks. And instead of making picks, they kept looking for team fights. And it's like, that's not how you play that comp. And I said this, I think I said this to you yesterday. I kept thinking of the Scooby-Doo meme where you take the, the, the mask off and you're like, oh, it's TSM. Because TSM kept drafting TF and Camille and trying to make plays around the map. And instead, they would never make any plays and they just end up team fighting and losing the game. Like that to me was exactly what that series was. I just I th kept thinking over and over again of the Scooby-Doo meme. That's all I could think of. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree that, you know, Gen G, once they sort of got smashed in game one, uh, with this like super high roaming comp and making plays around the map, they took the comp for themselves and then just sort of did nothing with it. It was kind of uh, like I favored G two in the series to win. I know you had Gen G, and I think I had Gen G, yeah. And I think you know for the most part, I think this series was pretty even on terms of who people thought were going to win. A lot of the Eastern community had this as Gen G favored. A lot of the Western community had this G two favored based on their sort of styles. But it kind of just seemed that like. G2 recognized that Gen.G doesn't like to play for early game. They like to play for late game. And G2 just either complete drafted for complete early game or just drafted for, you know, to mash them in the late game and just outplayed them in the mid to late game in games two yeah. and three. It felt like both teams tried the, the roaming comp and G2 was able to win with it and against it. Yeah. So I, I think that that's the only thing we really learned from G2 in this series. And I think that neither i mean we're gonna get to damn one and g2 in just a sec but i don't think neither team had to show a lot honestly in the series that they played g2 was yeah like i said they didn't have to they didn't play that much they just played the two comps one with the tf and one countering the tf and yeah. they had no issue with it whatsoever um i do want to say though that uh you said that there was kind of 50 50 people didn't know who was going to win this series and i i had gen g coming out on top but after watching this series like it felt to me like genji didn't even really show up yeah it felt like they didn't have anything else after the tf didn't work it felt like they had nothing else it was like uh that didn't work so let's try it again <laughs> it, did, it didn't it seemed like nothing really was working for them and it just seemed like uh like no matter what they did g2 was ready for it and they didn't have any struggle i thought bdd uh kind of just underperformed if i'm being completely honest it felt like he wasn't able to really have an impact on the game and if we're talking about bdd we got to talk about caps there was just a huge mid gap in the series and for me this is a huge series for Caps because I don't think people are going to forget about these plays. We talked earlier about how Juan Fung made the game about him. Well, Caps made the game about him in this series. And holy shit, did his Silas pop off. Yeah. That's a little, that's a little, uh, what's the preview hint, maybe? Anyways, go on. Yeah. Uh, what I'm really liking um, out of G2 and what we've actually seen a lot at Worlds is people picking Silas into Twisted Fate. Yeah. I think it, it's the matchup for Silas is just so good as the only the only like way you lose the lane is like getting camped early game and getting like flash gold carded like you get your flash traded and then you just get gold carded and died but other than that like it's pretty much just like a free scaling matchup uh if you're just playing it correctly and you're laning properly like you will you'll you'll beat TF in the laning phase you can steal his ultimate to make plays around the map yeah the the champion just scales so well and tf you know obviously the champion is all about pushing your lane and roaming 
and you know it doesn't do a lot of, it doesn't do a whole lot in terms of getting pressured in lane and that's what silas loves silas loves to be able to just sit there chug his corrupting potions in the early game perhaps will buy a dark seal maybe two sometimes if he's feeling it but uh I'm really liking. It feels this. a little irresponsible to leave the Silas up, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like when you're oh. picking like a, such a non-aggressive mid laner, like it's yeah. it's kind of like Kassadin in a way. Like you can pick this. It's like a Kassadin that may not be as strong in the late game, but is definitely much stronger in the mid game, and just takes what your champion does and will do it better. Yeah. And um, an another player that I want to highlight. I mean, you could highlight pretty much any of the G two players because they had a clean series, which is the first time I could say that in a long time. Because I don't think they've looked clean all year, honestly. I think that they've been good, but not clean. And I think this was their first clean series. Regardless, um, I need to give some praise to Perks. I thought that this was the first time he looked really, really good. And despite the fact that Caps was popping off more, he was still popping off himself. His gin was really good. Uh, we talked earlier about how effective gin can be. Well, Perks was that. He was a really good gen. I think he had a 9-2 scoreline. I don't remember how many assists, but he, he got a lot of freaking kills and didn't die a lot. And uh, yeah, I mean, really good series out of Perks. And if you're playing G2, you should be afraid to see uh, Perks start to show up. Because to me, Perks and, and Yankos were the players that I think were struggling on this team. Um, and I think if those two are starting to look good, that's when you need to be worried about G2. Yeah, um, definitely think Jin, like I sort of mentioned before with Wong Fong, Jin is the second best AD carry um, in the meta right now. And I think, you know, because Jin has risen in such high priority, I think we will see Jin be a lot more contested in these uh, series coming up. Um, I can't really recall if Ghost has any Jin games. So I'm not exactly sure with that. But yeah, like I think he does. Okay. I think, I'm pretty sure he did. M maybe if he did, but you know, Perks and Huang Feng are they have huge, huge heavy gin priority. So we'll have to see, you know, in these series coming up, if Damwon and Top Eserts are gonna contest that priority or if they're gonna like outright ban it just due to due to, you know, their performances on it. So I do think yeah. it's a champion that like will be a premier champion going into this next series, whether that is being perma banned or like highly contested in uh, being picked. So I, I just looked up really quick. Jin has been played three times by Ghost and good score lines in every wins. Oh, okay. I mean, obviously they're winning all their freaking games. So yeah. But yeah. anyways, three Jin games, three wins, three good score lines. Yes, it will be a contested pick, I think. And uh, yeah, I think the drafting will have to be a lot different in these series as well. Um, because I don't I don't think Damwon's going to let G2 get away with as much as Gen G did. Um, and I don't want to take away from G2's wins, but I did think that they got a lot of what they were looking for when it came to drafts. So, yeah. I mean, hey, you got to take what they give you, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. And they looked really good in doing it. Um, anything else on this? Or do we want to move on to awards? Nope, we can move on. All right. Pop-Off Awards and Bean Soup Award. We're, let's start with Pop-Off. I mean, I, I'm just going to say it. I, I hinted at it like five minutes ago. Caps on Silas was insane. I think that the, this performance is one of those performances that we will start to that we will remember for a long time and i think it's performances like this that start to get caps in the conversation for greatest of all time um do i think he is no i think faker is going to hold that for for quite some time honestly but caps is starting to get there with performances like this and i think uh you mentioned this to me yesterday the one of the things holding him back is just a world championship and i think that's fair i think that if we see g2 get a world championship 
and then and Caps obviously heavily involved, which we expect him to be. I think that there's no problem to insert him into the goat conversation. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think he should be there already. Um, I I think that he's tied for number two uh, with Uzi, in, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it for me, it's it's a little bit more difficult, you know, with League of Legends being such a, you know, a young sport esport like it's just so young in terms of its in terms of its lifespan you know for me at least like you have to be you have to have won a world to be in that conversation and if g2 were to win a world whether that be potentially this year whether that be you know next year or the year after because you know caps is still a very young player i think he's only 19 years old so i definitely think he'll still be around for you know at a minimum yeah i think he's only 19 is he that young? He oh, might be. He might be twenty. He might have just recently turned twenty, but he's either he's either early twenties or late nineteen. So I definitely think he has at minimum another four to five years in his career. Um, but in terms of uh, my pop off that I gave to you this week, obviously Caps is Caps is the obvious choice as he had such an insane series. But just to not be repetitive, I'm gonna go actually go with Reckless and Hillisang. More okay. I, I, Despite them losing that series, I think they played a really insane series and had a really great world championship. It just seems that Reckless, you know, despite him getting older and older, older and older, he just seems to be getting better and better. I think with each world championship that he's been to, his performances have increased, you know, back to they've gotten a little bit unlucky in terms of their quarterfinals uh, drawings that they've gotten. Like in 2017, they drew RNG. Uh, in 2018, they obviously had a really good uh, side of the group that they got to, but obviously, you know, they ran into IG in the finals and got smashed. And then in uh, 2019, uh, I don't, did they make it out? No, they didn't, right? Who are we talking about? Yeah, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fnatic did make it out in 2019. They played, they went up against FPX in the quarterfinals. And, you know, this year, obviously, they go up against top esports. So it's pretty hard to look at it. Like, you know, he, yes, he hasn't gotten very far in the world championship, but I do think, you know, He's definitely maybe not in like goat conversation, but he's in like best Western player of all time consideration just due to his like constant great performances at all these world championships, despite you know maybe not having the best results. But yeah, Reckless and Hillisang no played really well. Yeah. Hillisang, you know, we, we talked about him like during the season as a little bit of a coin flip player, but he was just really insane. His level ones have been really, really good. His skirmishing in the laning phase, his team fighting was even really good. Like his Leona was really insane in team fights, constantly landing E's and multi-man alts. Just shout out to those guys. They, they, they played a really fantastic worlds. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And like I said earlier, they deserved better, but I mean, that's the way it goes. And another honorable mention could have been Juan Fung's Jin. Like that guy was also popping off. So lots of different possibilities on who you XT. want to pick for that one. But um, anyways, what? I just, uh, twitch chat thing and i just said xd when i saw it okay uh okay bean soup who do you got hmm it's hard but i i, I was I between can go first if you want to okay think about okay yeah, yeah you can go first i'm just giving it to the damn one drx series as oh, a whole okay like this this award is about disappointment right Th that series was bean soup disappointment okay that series sucked and yeah. people want to know why i'm so upset look i warped my sleep schedule to be able to watch these fucking games and i stayed up all night to watch that that sucked man and i don't want to see a series like that again especially for two teams that are supposed to be so good and i get it it's their play style i'm not blaming them i'm not blaming them for playing their style but it did suck and it was disappointing so i'm giving the award to damn one and trx 
for that snoozer of a series. Yeah, I my bean soup pick was going to be like the LCK slow slow play style, and I was then going to pick a series. But I mean, you kind of encapsulated it. Like their 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 games are just so slow; they don't exactly make for exciting games. And when they get into these, like you know, I, I'm trying to think like. There was a whole narrative. Thing, oh, in, in group stage, though, both of those teams were fine to watch. I loved watching their games. Yeah. That series, though, was not exciting. No matter how you want to sugarcoat it, it just sucked. Yeah, it just, like, the narrative has sort of, like, been created that, like, you need to play your own style, and if you're just going to try to play the same style as another team, but you're a worse version of that team, like, it's not going to work out for you. And we saw that in the Damwon DRX series. They made the conscious decision to try to outfight them in the late game. And it just completely failed. Gen G sort of did the same thing, but didn't really seem like they knew what they were doing. And it just made for some really boring games because they have these picks where they're supposed to make plays and then they don't make plays and they're just getting outplayed in late game team fights. Yeah, I don't know. LCK slow play style. It's obviously like it works because they're LCK and they're good, but it doesn't make for the most entertaining of games. Yeah, it's still even if you expect it, it's still disappointing. <laughs> like yeah. I don't know, I don't know what else to say other than that. Okay, you, let's move on to the world format discussion, right? Vedius had a tweet that I thought was pretty interesting. I know you definitely had some thoughts on it. Um, I, I want to give you the floor for this one because I think you have a lot more thoughts on this than I do. So. Go ahead, take it away on this. Yeah, one. hold on. I just, I, I just gotta pull it up you real quick it up? here. Yeah, yeah. No I, I just wanna, I just wanna read out the tweet just so people can know what I am referencing. Yeah, and, and just so people know, basically, people aren't happy with the format at Worlds, and people have been very critical, saying that they should change it up. And well, Vedius had his thoughts, so he took to Twitter to, uh, to give his thoughts on how he thinks the world for, Worlds format, uh, should or shouldn't be changed. Yeah, so, you know, the world's format, it's been a constant, like, topic of discussion within League of Legends, I would say, for probably, probably for the last three years, I think since 2018, um, you know, people have really, you know, wanted a format change because the playing field does seem to be leveling in terms of the number of good teams we have at the World Championship, the number of regions that are actually competitive. I think it's safe to say that the LCK, the LPL, and the LEC are all, you know, teams, the top teams that come out from there are very competitive teams and are threats to win the world championship. Obviously, NA's not in that conversation and never will be. Maybe they will. I don't think so. But, you know, people want double elimination. But, you know, what, you know, how, how do you change the format to sort of favor a double elimination or to try to figure out, you know, the, the, the actual one, two, three, four of who the best teams are at the world championship? So to go to Vettius' tweet, um, you know, he's, he's talking about the format of Worlds, but he said, I believe the current purpose of Worlds is to determine who the best team at the tournament is. That's why it's pretty cutthroat. The goal isn't to make sure the best teams make it into the final, just who the number one is. I think it's fair to debate whether that's what Worlds should be doing, and you can fall on either side of the coin on that. That's, that's also why I, feel, why I don't feel bad depending on where people get knocked out and by who. Players know it's only about who is number one, two, three, four is whatever. So pretty much what he's saying there is, and I, and I completely agree with, you know, the way that the bracket stage and the group stage are laid out is you want to find the best team. And by doing that, you know, the way that they have the knockout stage uh, sort of format is that you can't play up against a, a team that was in your group. You're automatically put on opposite sides of the bracket. So you do get that sort of situation where in 2018, since Fnatic and IG got thrown onto opposite sides of the bracket, 
it kind of fucked up the whole like rest of the knockout stage with a bunch of very easy teams being on one side and a bunch of very difficult teams being on the other side. On that one side of the bracket, you had Fnatic, Cloud9, EDG, and Afrika Freaks, who were NA's number two seed, EU's number one seed, I think it was, LCK number three seed, and LPL number three seed. And it kind of just made for Fnatic's an easy run for the finals, and we're constantly seeing these quarterfinal or semifinal matches that are basically what most people would consider being the finals of that world championship. In 2018, we saw yeah. the best of five between KT Rolster, the number one LCK team, and Invictus Gaming, LPL number three seed at the time, was basically the world finals. It was the best series by far. I mean, the other another really good series that was in that uh, group stage was uh, RNG versus G2, which was that huge upset, which kind of, again, threw the whole turn through through the whole tournament for a loop and it was another reason why people wanted double elimination because i think most people would agree that rng still probably was the best team at that tournament and if there was a double elimination format they probably fight their way back and make the finals but my whole point being here is it's just a matter of one keeping the world championship in i guess a much shorter format like you really got to think here like if we're going to make double elimination a thing how many matches need to be played? Because if every team yeah. needs to lose twice, think about the bracket here. You're basically playing double the number of best of fives plus however you want to reformat the group stage so that the bracket, the, like the knockout bracket stage is different. And then therefore, like how often do teams need to be playing? How long does that make worlds? Like, does that make worlds like a whole month and a half? Because it seems that they're trying to shorten it not really making it like a week one, week two in group it's stage. It's already almost yeah, a month it's, and a half. It's, it's like five weeks, right? Yeah, well, it's like more if, than a month. If, if you count plans, if you count plans, it's like five weeks. Not yeah. counting plans, it's four weeks, and that's even with like a reduced, um, like kind of schedule that they did with the group stage now, where there's only a one day break really in between week one and week two, whereas before it was like a three to four day break. But you know, I I definitely agree with Vettius's tweets in that he's basically saying like. The goal of the world championship right now in their current format is to find the number one team. And, you know, in that sense, like if, you know, you're not going to, they, they don't run third place matches anyway, because teams really don't care. You know, if you are one, two, three, four, five, you just care if you win. And yeah. I, I don't think unless we see like a huge shakeup of the format in and then in turn, the scheduling of worlds, like I, I don't think, I don't see the world's format changing anytime soon. My take isn't much different than yours. I completely agree. I don't think the tournament needs to be any longer. So you, I need to see a good plan for how you're going to be able to not make this a two-month tournament. So that's that's for one. The other thing is, is that I'm not really too upset with how the format works right now. Do I think it could be better? Yeah, maybe. But I think like maybe kind of, sometimes things just kind of low roll, you know? Like it could have if maybe if the the bracket didn't work out the way it did, we're not even talking about this right now. It just kind of happened this way. And sometimes that's going to happen. You know, I think that's just something that you need to expect. For me, I think that no matter what, the finals are always exciting. I think that both teams that end up in the finals have a legitimate good chance of taking the finals despite the three O's that we've seen in the last couple of years. So for me, nah, it, it doesn't bother me that much as long as the finals are exciting. And as long as at the end of the day, I think the best team in the world does win. And so far I haven't seen anything that makes me think the best team in the world isn't winning. So that's my take on it. I don't really have much more to say other than that. Yeah, definitely agree. I think a lot of the talk has, you know, kind of turned up because of these super lopsided uh, these last two finals have been, you know, really like lopsided to one side. But I do think that is a result of, you know, 
yes, the two teams that are in the finals do have something to offer and have a legitimate chance of winning, but they're just straight up better than the other team. And when you're better than the other team, like sometimes it's not even close. Like G2 and FPX, they had a very similar style of playing heavy early game and FPX did it better and they won. In Fnatic and IG back in 2018, Fnatic was sort of this mid-game team fighty team, whereas IG was this hyper-aggressive early game team and it just proved like that style worked much better and they got smashed. And I, I'm hoping that we're going to have a much more competitive finals this year, regardless of what we get. If, you know, it's like JDG or sorry, not JDG, uh, TES, uh, Damwon, or if it's like G2 Sooning or G2 TES, any combination of finals that we get this yeah. year, I don't think it'll be a three, a three Oh stomp either way, based on the forms that we're seeing of these teams, top esports isn't this like, holy fuck, they're so OP, who the hell is going to beat them? Like, no, we've seen Fnatic can beat them. Sooning has even shown some weaknesses in their group stage performance. Obviously, you know, their play has gotten much better, but there are ways to win against them, and G2 has had some very close games against them. And again, G2 against Damwon, they're sort of known as these LCK killers that thrive off this slow play style. But on the flip side, Damwon, they're sort of becoming a little bit more aggressive in the early game, and their players are all really insane. So I think we're in for exciting series regardless of regardless of the rest like for the rest of the tournament we're gonna have good series couldn't agree more any any of the four teams in finals i'm happy with i i don't really care i think they're all really exciting to watch and so i think that we're gonna be seeing good series as well i completely agree okay let's move on let's get into the semis previews because we got damon and g2 on the saturday game 6 a.m est 3 a.m pst so yeah again Some more late night bangers much, not much better for sleep schedule for any north american fans but i mean that's the way it be so anyway um okay earlier in the chat i had to refresh the chat so i can't i'm sorry i can't read the live chat or but earlier someone said something along the lines of like what do you think the pace of the games are going to be with g2 and damn one which is the first thing that i wanted to talk about with this series because you got one team that's playing very slow and very controlled and you got one team being hella crazy hella aggro let's make a bunch of plays uh that being g2 um, mm -hmm. So I think that really the winner of this series is going to be the one that's able to dictate the pace of the game. Um, I don't think that's obvious who's going to be able to dictate the pace of the game. Um, I do think that this will be a really big hurdle for Damwon because of how aggressive G2 is. And it will maybe force Damwon to play faster. But I don't know, man. This team just team fights so well that I'm not even that concerned it, it, with G2 forcing fights upon them. Yeah, I... Although G2, they do have this reputation now of being like LCK killers and, you know, doing really well against the slow play style of the LCK. I don't think that Damwon is, like, their style is not sort of this traditional LCK style. I know that we saw that in the DRX series with them playing a much slower game, but I do think that was because they just recognized that they're much better at DRX's play style than DRX. And, you know, I think back to more of the group stage games where in their games against JDG, um, Rogue and PSG Talon, like those were teams that were going at Damwon and being very aggressive in the early game. And we saw that Damwon is able to play a fast paced game. Um, I'm thinking uh, like they had that Kennen game with Nuggery and then the Lulu game where like they're getting dove. Like I always remember PSG Talon is like diving their tier two and they have support coming up at like levels two and level four while everyone else on the map is like past six. And Damwon is no stranger to these high tempo games. And I do think you're right in the sense that whichever team is able to set the pace of this game will win. If Damwon is able to slow down G2 and make it a much more controlled game and, you know, punish their early aggressive plays or, like, just completely stifle their early aggressive plays, they will probably win. And if G2 is able to 
make the game make the game a mess and make it scrappy, they will probably win. Yeah, and, and the one matchup that I really want to highlight here is because is mid because we saw Caps absolutely style against BDD, but I don't think that he'll be able to do that nearly as effectively as he against Showmaker. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like I I think Showmaker is just better than BDD. I don't think that it's really close. Um, I would have thought that it would be close coming into this this World or Worlds uh, Championship, but I didn't really see much out of BDD that really impressed me, and so I and I did see a lot out of Showmaker that that impressed me. So I think mid matchup is going to be really really exciting to watch. I have the advantage going to Damwon because of the jungle though, and it's not that I think Yankos is bad, but it's that I don't think Yankos is up to the peak performance Yankos that we have seen. I did think he had a good series against Gen G. But overall, I still can't ignore the year that I've seen out of Yankos and that he's not the top jungler or in that conversation anymore. I think that there are just better junglers. Um, maybe he proves me wrong. You know, that's totally possible. But uh, for right now, I see Canyon having the advantage in that. I see Nuggery having the advantage. Uh, and then I honestly don't really give much of an advantage to G2's bot lane. Or, or I don't even give any advantage to either bot lane. Um, well, I think Perks had a really good uh series against gen g i don't think that he's been consistent this year and honestly i just think that ghost has been more consistent so um maybe i actually give a slight edge to damwon uh this series i got damwon taking it 3-1 um but i think this series is going to be really really exciting to say the least yeah i think for me i think this will probably be the best series that we see just in terms of the level of play and like the stylistic matchups between two teams that we have at worlds i do in fact have this one g2 favored i had g2 going in the finals and my pickums um, i'm gonna have it as a 3-2 though because like you said i do think that damn one has like individually player for player they have more advantages than g2 i would give the slight advantage to nuggery over wonder i'd give the slight advantage to showmaker over caps i'd give a bit bigger of an advantage to canyon over Yankos, but I definitely have G2's bot lane as more favored. It's it's kind of more that I see Damwon's bot lane as more of the, you know, it, it's kind of like they're a bit of like a double support team in terms of like the way that they play around their other three laners or their other three players in Nuggery, Canyon, and Showmaker. It's like, it's not Ghost and Barrel's role to completely dominate their laning phase and, you know, them play through bot and win the game through bot. It's more that this team goes even, they have a good they 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 play laning phase they play laning phase out really well mechanically in terms of setting up for dragon control or then like swapping up to herald or just supporting the team and making their plays around the map whether that's putting barrel on an engaged support like leona or bra leona or at fuck leona or alistar or you have ghost playing like the more utility 80 carries and like ash and senna but i think it'll be a very close series like i said i have it g2 favored as a 3-2 uh, just for the fact that I think that as a team, you know, when G2 is at its peak, I think G2 is one of the best teams in the world and they will be able to set the pace of the game and, you know, just beat Damwon. But I do think it's a very close series. I, I, it, I, I, any game score in this series, I wouldn't be surprised by. If it was a 3-0 yeah. by Damwon and they just completely outplayed G2, I'd be like, okay, there you go. If it's a Doesn't three that just always seem to be the case with G2? Like, yeah, it seems like, like predicting G2 is it's so, it's so, so difficult. Hard. They're such a volatile team. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. Like, one way or another, games are freaking impossible. One way or another, it's just so difficult to predict. Like, if G2, yeah. like, it could be a 3 2, it could be a very close series. It could be a 3 0 with one team stomping the other. 
I don't know. It's the series I'm most excited for at Worlds so far, and I think it will be the best yeah, don't one. Don't miss the series, guys. Do not miss this one. This but one will I, be really, really good. I got G2 3 2. Yeah. One last thing I do want to say before we move on to Sooning and, and Top uh, is just that the I don't know if anybody watched the press conference afterwards. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the G2 press conference was really funny. Wonder was asked something uh, I'm paraphrasing here. He was asked about preparing for um for damwon and he said something along the lines of i'll start preparing once i see who wins versus top or sooning because he fully expects to beat any korean team yeah he so, he basically just memed on the korean team saying that g2 always beats the korean teams and they're just like only preparing for top sooning it, it was a pretty funny clip it was on like front yeah, page reddit it was a it, funny it was clip. pretty good but uh, anyways just a little bit of of hype for that series if if it wasn't hype already there's just a little bit more to add to the hype for that series but let's talk about suning and, and top um i think we mentioned this earlier i don't know but uh before coming into this tournament for sure top would have been the the favorite in the series but i think going into this i think this is where we said that maybe suning is the favorite in the series now just from what we've seen at worlds um i think we've seen a lot of good things from both sides but i think we've seen a little bit more out of suning uh, I want to know your thoughts on that. I, I, For me, I'm at it like a 50-50 with the series, kind of similar okay. to the G2 Demon series. I think both series are pretty 50-50. It's, it's a bit hard to... It's hard to doubt top esports just because of how dominant they were in the LPL. And yes, Sooning is playing very, very well. And yes, top esports didn't look the best in their series against Fnatic. It is really hard to discount how top esports dominated the LPL this year. And for My those... Fear? Sorry, go ahead. So just just for those reasons, I do expect Jackie Love and Yuyanja to step up a little bit. I do expect Knight to play very well and have great success against Angel. The main things where I have on the side of uh, Sooning are if Ben is able to you know do the same things that he was doing against a, against a player like Three Six Nine, and if SOFM is going to be able to do the things that he has been doing against a player like Carsa. Yeah. So I, I think it's obvious that if, if you're top, you want to ban out the Lilia from SOFM. And if you're Sooning, you want to get uh, Karsa off of like something like Lee Sin. You want to make sure that these guys aren't able to play the champions that they've been so successful on. Um, what I did want to talk about is where I'm fearful for top is in the bot lane because Jackie Love did not have a good series against Fnatic. In fact, he just got absolutely rolled the whole time. And same thing with you, Yanja. It's no different. Um, Jackie Love was arcane shifting in on on cooldown every time he could ezreal e into someone he would and he paid the price so many times it just didn't seem like he was himself and then on the other side we saw huang feng absolutely pop off uh in that series and so with one trending so far up and one trending so far down that's definitely the worry for me for top esports um where i think this series is most exciting is actually in the top lane just just for the sheer champion pools 369 has played eight unique champions in 11 games. That, that is a lot. And then Bin, he's been playing a lot of GP. He played four different GP games. But if you ban his GP, he's also played Volibear, Camille, Jace, Aurelia, Jax, Renekton. Like, no matter what, this guy's going to play something that he can hard carry the game with. And so uh, I think that the top lane matchup is just going to be so exciting and very volatile with guys that like to play aggressive and trade a lot. So I think if you're watching this series, uh, keep an eye on the on the stats that are going on in the top lane. Yeah, for me, I, I think it's up to Sooning to win this series. Like, they need to be the aggressors in this series, making proactive early game plays, getting favorable lane matchups. I, I think if they go a little bit more traditionally with 
playing for some more mid to late game style of champions or you know like you got to take it to top esports to win this series i i do still think sooning are the slight underdogs although the series is very close but i think it is up to sooning to go out and win this series as opposed to like they just do their thing and they'll beat top esports it's like they got to play very well and you need to go out and take it which is uh, yeah. honestly that's actually how they've played yeah so no far it is true they've played very very aggressive sos sofm is in your face um so that's another really good clash we're gonna see sofm and, and carsa really duke it out in the jungle but yeah Car sofm is invading a lot and uh yeah. angel's just gonna have to hold his own against knight um not even that knight's been amazing or that uh angel's been like underperforming i don't think any of that is true but I do think that it's really about, like we said earlier, it's about Pryo, and it's about being able to get to your jungler first with both being very aggressive junglers. It's really about who can be, who can pressure more in the mid lane and be able to roam and help their jungler. And so that's where I think that matchup is going to, um, yeah, be very interesting. Um, I actually have Sooning coming out on top. I have them going 3-2 in this series. Who who do you got taking this one? Uh, I got top esports. I'm going to give it a 3-1. Okay. Um, but like I said, it's very close, and I wouldn't be surprised if Sooning won. Yeah, th this series is going to be hella exciting. I, I honestly can't wait. Um, but yeah, just to, to be clear, uh, that means I got Damwon and Sooning going to finals. You got G2 and Top Esports, correct? Yep. Okay, cool. We got cool. different picks. We'll have to see. <clears throat> uh, all right. Is, is anything else before we move on to our quick news section? Nope. Okay, we got a fair bit of stuff, so let's start getting through this stuff. Let's start off with uh, just some things that you guys should know if you somehow don't or haven't seen. Uh, Tyler One got signed with T One, or T One T One T One. It's T One T One. Yeah. So SKT T One signed Tyler One, and now he's a part of that organization. Well, it's uh, no longer it's no longer SKT. It's just T One. Yeah, I know. I just need to clarify because saying T One T One is just you know. Like it's yeah. yeah. I just needed to clarify that it is the SKT org that signed T1 as a content creator, whatever the hell they're calling them nowadays, a personality, whatever. Entertainment. So Tyler One is now T1 T1. Uh, what else? Uh, you want to talk about the shy and his stream highlights? Yeah, there was a Reddit post that just popped up today. Actually, it was early this morning. But the shy, uh, top laner for IG, uh, one worlds in season eight. Uh, he had a stream. Uh, fairly recently where he was discussing a lot of topics primarily about you know the world championship games and giving his sort of take on them uh, but one of the things that I wanted to didn't really want to focus on that as you know we've talked a lot about you know the world's matches already is a few of the things that he was talking about uh, with the current IG roster and the former IG roster because he was basically kind of just flaming a bit of his old teammates on IG specifically Ning when he was just talking about how like his jungle clearing and pathing is much worse than a lot of the current junglers that we're seeing today and how a lot of his teammates current and prior would like mental boom if they got bad matchups in their matches and him and rookie are always like constantly having to sacrifice their lane for the betterment of the team. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And I think the main point that, you know, kind of got emphasized on his stream was that this, you know, as of right now, this will probably be the shy and rookies last year playing professionally. At least that's what he said. He didn't confirm that exactly, but you know, at this point, that's pretty much what he said that this will be him as him and rookies last season playing professionally, which, and it is possible, yeah. but I mean, we also saw Doyne B say last year after we won worlds that it was, his last yeah, that's season. true. But again, it's something you got to think about because yeah. if this is going to be their last, I guess, hurrah, like 
knows? Maybe like they they get a whole new roster with a bunch of insane players. They try to make some push for the championship, or maybe he's just bullshitting and just trying to get his name in the in the news. Yeah. Um, another thing that happened that is noteworthy is it looks like they will have a live viewing for the world finals. Um, we wanted to get something that, to get a link for the description, but we actually couldn't find the clip anymore. So I'm, I'm sorry if someone has it and they want to put it in the YouTube comments, please do, because we couldn't find it. But basically they teased on the live broadcast um, that there, well, actually there was an article that came out as well. That will be in the description, um, but they teased on the live broadcast that there will be a live viewing and there's going to be, Apparently, it's 6,300 tickets that are 63. Yeah, 6,300 tickets that are going to be available um, just to Chinese players, I believe. I think that you have to be on the Chinese client to be able to put your name in a draw and you can be, win some tickets or whatever. I don't know exactly how it's working, but uh, apparently already 2 million, 2 million people have already registered to try to get these tickets. And I can only imagine that that number is going to go up. Uh, the world's finals approach especially if a chinese team does uh make it into finals which they will obviously yeah so um so yeah it looks like there's i don't know exactly what they're gonna do they're gonna try to social distance somehow i guess i don't really know but it looks like they're gonna be on a stage and there will be a crowd maybe a small crowd of only 6300 but a crowd nonetheless so that's something that is just noteworthy and we thought you guys should know about that and i thought it was pretty interesting and a little bit exciting that there will be some sort of crowd so that's pretty cool Yep, and then what I else? guess back to more NA-focused news. Um, Arrow, former Phoenix One AD carry, former Optic AD carry, just recently announced that he's looking to come back to play, either play professionally or coach. Uh, specifically in LCS, he put out a tweet on his Twitter a couple days ago saying that he's looking for opportunities in NA, whether that be as a player or a coach. So who knows? Maybe we'll see Arrow on either an LCS or Academy team. Definitely think he's a... He's a solid AD carry. Would def definitely is a mid to bottom tier AD. He did win um, MVP that one split back in I think it was spring 2017. I think that sounds right. Yeah, but he was he once won MVP in North America, so he's a solid player. Hopefully, we'll see him on a team. Uh, also, a Lust Boy uh, on the coaching staff of TSM put out a tweet that although he's still under contract with TSM, he has been given permission to explore other opportunities and in the esports scene. Whenever we see that somebody is tweeting with that verbiage that although their contract is not yet up, but they've been allowed to explore other opportunities, that normally means that they're not there and they're going to be somewhere else next year. So Lustboy will probably be on a team that is not TSM. He's been with TSM his whole career pretty much, both playing and coaching, minus his days in LCK before that. But ever since coming to NA, he's been exclusively on TSM. So another piece of interesting news, Lustboy will probably be on a different team. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of interesting things that could happen here. One with Lust Boy, where is he going to go? But two with the with Arrow coming back, we were saying coming back in quotations. We don't know for sure if he does come back as a player. Because in that tweet, I'm pretty sure he did say player or coach. But yeah. if he does come back as a player, that makes the AD carry position even more interesting in North America because we've already got Sneaky who also wants to come back and play, and all of the current LCS AD carries they're all under contract for another year. Not one North American AD carry has their contract expiring. So if, let's say, Arrow is a player and, and Sneaky comes back as a player as well, you have 12 AD carries to fill the spot of 10. And with the OPL also uh, being able to have their players, like, you know, not imports, maybe you have King that's, you know, pushing for a spot in the LCS. 
so basically there there could be a really wide variety of of um different uh, scenarios that happen um i i do think that it's very bad news for the 80 carries that have been around and haven't shown much um uh, to name a few uh, in my mind, my first one is Apollo. I don't think Apollo was, is going to be starting next year. I think he's had plenty of opportunities. I love Apollo. Don't get me wrong, but he's had plenty of opportunities in the LCS to prove himself and has consistently been a bottom tier uh, AD carry in the league. And then who else? I, I don't think bang is actually very happy in North America. I would not be surprised to see him hang it up or, or go to another region or uh, anyways, I just wouldn't see, wouldn't be surprised to see if he actually is no longer the AD carry for EG and uh, there was one more, but uh, it's escaping me. The, the point is, we're going to see a fair bit of mix-up. Oh, it was actually Turtle. Because despite Turtle actually having a decent summer se summer season, uh, sort of split, pardon me, he actually was benched earlier in the split, which goes to show me that maybe FlyQuest wasn't all that happy with him. They, they certainly weren't happy with MASH. So uh, maybe even FlyQuest is looking for a different AD carry. Who knows? That's a big toss-up. We'll have to wait and see, but... Lots of 80 carries and not enough positions for them to play in the LCS. So that should be an interesting little mix up there. Um, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else that you want to share with the, with the folks before we close out the episode, JMT? Yeah, if you've been listening to this episode, hopefully you've recognized that the sound quality has improved a little bit. True. Got a microphone, like an yes. actual microphone instead of a headset microphone. So obviously, I know there's been a couple problems in the past with there being like a little bit of static or like some sort of like feedback in the microphone. Hopefully that's all been fixed now. Um, definitely if you're uh, watching this on the YouTube channel, drop a comment. Let me know if, you know, any problems that were on the episode with the microphone or if I could configure any more settings. Let me know. We'll do that. But, you know, we're up in the quality a little bit. Yeah, Pog and, and I, this, this all to say that, like, look, guys, maybe we are sometimes a little bit slow on getting our quality up, but it is something that we do focus on, and we do want to get the quality as good, uh, as good as possible for you guys. And I think this also shows that this won't be the end of Clown Fiesta podcast at the end of this year. We do intend on coming back next year as well, and so we're going to continue to try to make the episodes as good as possible for you guys. And so uh, do expect us to keep on continuing to try to improve the podcast and and we really do appreciate all the support um we got people in live chat right now too that we we owe a huge thanks to and and um yeah just to say that we will continue to do episodes we don't know how often there will be some off-season episodes as well but for now you can expect an episode obviously for the next two weeks i want to say for yep. sure and then probably an off-season episode as well definitely yeah. when there will be off-season signings we'll get into that as well yeah but when we free agency hits definitely yeah so there, there. I guess there'll probably be a break. Date. There'll probably be yeah. a break when Worlds ends and free agency hits. But once yeah. free agency starts back up, there'll definitely be a lot to talk about with, you know, new rosters and whatnot. All this to say that we're going to continue to try to make the quality as good as possible, and that we are doing our best to improve and make the episodes as entertaining as possible. So thank you everyone who came to the live viewing. Thank you everyone that's listening on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, or whatever freaking platform platform you you're able to find us it is appreciated that uh you guys do want to hear our voices and hear our thoughts it means a lot to us be sure to sub on youtube hit that sub button we want the numbers to go up as much as possible if you're enjoying the content make sure to do that and if you want to catch the live show it's usually mondays 9 p.m est we we do our best to show up every monday and i think we've done that consistently since starting this podcast um yeah any other shout outs jmt oh yeah twitter's Right. Follow us on Twitter. It's on the screen. Uh, for those that are listening, it's at Tuminator underscore. 
and at blue j underscore gg so be sure to drop us a follow on there we usually try to give some updates as to when we're going live or or just any thoughts that we have during the middle of the games we'll send out on twitter and uh yeah uh thank you once again and this has been episode 20 of the clown fiesta podcast <laughs>